The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. That will include medically necessary and elective procedures. All patients, visitors, vendors, staff, and physicians entering our facilities will have their temperature checked with an infrared thermometer upon arrival. Individuals will also be asked screening questions about COVID-19 symptoms per CDC guidelines. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. Welcome to the Something Patriots podcast, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, a podcast where we talk a little something about the Somerset Patriots. Game over! Series over! 27 up and 27 down for Teasley! The Patriots are your 2015 Atlantic League champions! Patriots win another Atlantic League title! Warning track ball! Gone! Home run for Corey Aldridge! His third blast of the game! It's a walk-off grand it is gone! Ball game over! Series over! And Patriots are the 2008 Atlantic League champions! Somerset! On 1450 WCTC, WCTCAM.com, and where podcasts are available. A pleasant hello, and welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz. Thank you so much for tuning in, uh, whether it be on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, or on any of our participating podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and a number of other participating platforms. Uh, This marks episode number four of our brand new podcast series, and we can't wait to keep producing more of these Uh, Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the pod on whichever platform you use so that we can continue to churn out episodes every week. Uh, On this week's episode, Major League Baseball and their Players Association continue to exchange proposals on how the financial end of restarting baseball would look like. There's been a lot of back and forth, and we're going to dive into all of that. Plus, many Major League organizations have begun making significant cuts to both staff and minor league players. Um, So we're going to take a look at how those changes could affect the Atlantic League, uh, and there's very real possibilities that they could affect the Atlantic League significantly. Also, we are joined by top 20 catcher, uh, Atlantic League champion, and all-time great Adam Donahue, uh, who spent five seasons in Somerset and helped guide a record-setting pitching staff through a memorable and championship-filled 2015 campaign. Adam had a lot of really good stories in our interview, so be sure to stick around for that. But with that said, let's get this thing started. Who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! All right.
right, so it's been a big week in the baseball world, even if there might not be any breaking Atlantic League news. The main storylines currently are the ongoing negotiations between Major League Baseball ownership and the MLB Players Association. We covered this on the one of the last episodes, maybe a couple of weeks ago. But the main sticking point here is currently how the players will be paid for whatever a 2020 season would look like. The most recent proposal from MLB owners outlined a tiered system in which players with lower salaries receive a higher percentage of their expected wages, while the higher paid players see a lower percentage, basically meaning uh, guys who are scheduled to make $20 million or more would earn 20% of their anticipated salary, uh, while those who are set to make between $560,000 to $1 million would receive 72.5% of their salary. Uh, But this would be a stark contrast from the previously agreed upon pay structure between the players and unions back in March that called for each player's salary to be prorated depending on how many games are played during the season. Uh, That would be the player's preferred pay structure, the prorated structure, but there still seems to be a lot of work to do to get to that point. In a viral tweet, Washington Nationals pitcher Max Scherzer, who is also a member of the Players Association subcommittee looking into this situation, was quoted at saying, quote, After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based on the current information the union has received. So time is starting to run out on negotiations if MLB wants to stick to its restart plan of about a mid-June spring training and an early July full restart. Um, Obviously, things can change really quickly, but based off that Scherzer quote and the way that other players' comments have leaked, uh, it certainly seems as though there are a lot of hurdles still in the way of baseball getting going again. So how does this all factor into the Atlantic League? Well, ESPN's Jeff Passan has been all over all of these stories in the current state of major league organizations and their respective affiliates, uh, and it has not been pretty. Uh, Previously, players in the minors were receiving $400 a week from their respective major league organizations, but a number of those organizations this week, including the Cardinals, Mariners, Brewers, Reds, Mets, Nationals, Braves, Diamondbacks, White Sox, Orioles, Rockies, and Rays, so a good number of teams, And those are just the ones that have been reported have begun releasing a significant amount of their minor league players. Um, Other teams have committed to continuing the $400 a week payment through the end of June. However, more cuts are expected. Uh, Jeff Passan reported earlier on the day that this pod is being recorded, so May 28th, that, quote, hundreds of minor league players were cut today and lost their jobs, and that, quote, in the end, upward of 1,000 players could see their baseball careers end. So this is due, of course, to the current COVID-19 pandemic, but also the expected contraction of minor league baseball and the possibility of a canceled 2020 minor league baseball season. Uh, But that does put the Atlantic League in a bit of an interesting situation. Of course, the stories will be bad for these players and the effect on many baseball communities 
uh, both from a personal standpoint and around the country, are going to be devastating. But there will be some opportunity for the Atlantic League. Uh, the first thing that stands out is the increased player pool for a lot of talented athletes. I mean, some of these guys that are going to get released from these major league organizations are players that otherwise uh, would have had a bit of a role in each of these organizations. So certainly an increased player pool uh, for a lot of these Atlantic League teams uh, to choose from. I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, they're going to be hungry to keep playing baseball, to continue their career, to find a place to play, and specifically to find a place to play in the United States. And there's a good chance with the minor league affiliates of major league organizations, with those seasons certainly in flux right now, if the Atlantic League can find their way to start a season and to play, uh, there's going to be a high demand for the players to get into this league. Now, granted, a lot of these rosters have already been formed, but each team still has some space to fill out the rest of their roster. And I would imagine because, you know, maybe there will be some other independent leagues that play this year. I know a lot of them are having conversations about when that could potentially take place. But the Atlantic League has undoubtedly remained the top level of independent baseball. So if you're the Atlantic League and you're the top level of independent baseball, minor league baseball isn't going to be played. There's a, certainly an opportunity for you there. Um, it's going to be a higher level of competition inside the league with a lot of these uh, higher talented players coming over to the Atlantic League. The Atlantic League doesn't have to answer to Major League Baseball in terms of when they can restart. So they have some autonomy uh, in that regard. Maybe the age of a lot of the players in the Atlantic League might decrease a little bit in terms of the average age because of all these other players that were once in a major league organization and are now all of a sudden the free agents. You could also make the argument that there's going to be a higher amount of attention for major league baseball scouts on the Atlantic League because there's going to be less minor leagues seasons going on, which means a lot of these guys that otherwise would have been in minor leagues might be in the Atlantic League. And that's going to provide an opportunity for a lot of these scouts to see these guys in action and potentially get a better look at them. And of course, what that would also mean is an opportunity for the league's added exposure, uh, playing more games and having a more significant role in the overall landscape of minor league baseball. Um, so, you know, in summation, there will be a lot more Atlantic League information uh, to come out in the days and weeks to come. But league officials have recognized the significant opportunity for the league at hand uh, and its teams under the current climate. And I mean, right now they are working hard to find a way to somehow pull off a 2020 season. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, 
Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with 8 locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by T-Mobile. It's true, the happiest customers in wireless are with T-Mobile. Visit a T-Mobile store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE to join today. Welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. Again, my name is Mark Schwartz. I very much appreciate you guys tuning in for episode number four of this brand new podcast series. And today's guest, we already brought it up a little bit earlier, is catcher Adam Donahue. Now, Adam played for the Patriots for five seasons from 2012 through 2015, and then actually spent one year, 2016, coaching over in Korea under former Somerset Patriots hitting coach and third base coach Shane Spencer. And then Donahue actually returned to the Patriots in 2017, that time as a player coach. So overall, five seasons for Donahue uh, with the red, white, and blue. And it's it's interesting that we have Donahue on this week's episode because his time in Somerset basically starts right when our last guest, last week's guest, Josh Presley, it basically starts right when Presley's time in Somerset concluded. Presley first came over to the Patriots in 2007. He played with the team through 2011 and then went over to the Sugarland Skeeters in 2012 and was actually the first player announced in Sugarland Skeeters team history, 2012 being that inaugural season for the Skeeters. Uh, and it was also the first season that Adam Donahue played with the Somerset Patriots. And it was interesting talking to him because the Patriots were sort of at a crossroads. This is a very interesting time in Somerset Patriots history. They had missed out on the postseason in 2011. And then Adam Donahue joins the fold in 2012. And this is a year where a lot of new names start entering the fold for the Patriots. And this is pretty much the next generation of core Somerset Patriot members. I mean, you look back to the previous era, you have your Josh Presley, you have your Casey Cahill, your Jeff Nettles. I mean, the names go on and on. This era now, including Adam Donahue, really begins in 2012. It's Johnny Tucker's first season. He would play four seasons for the Patriots. It was Roy Merritt's first season. He would play in parts of five seasons for Somerset. Uh, Jake Fox's first season, he would be here for three years. Corey Smith's first season, he would be here for three years as well. So it's sort of a transitional year for the Patriots. And it was also Sparky Lyle's last year as manager of the team. Now, Sparky had won five Atlantic League championships as manager of the Patriots, the most at the time of any manager in Atlantic League history and remains the most of any manager in Atlantic League history. Uh, but he missed the postseason in 2011. And then in 2012, in Sparky's final year, the Patriots would miss the postseason as well. And that actually wound up being the last time that Somerset would fail to qualify for the Atlantic League postseason until our most recent 2019 season. But we'll get into that uh, further down the road. But Donnie 
And a lot of these core members of the Patriots, they return for the 2013 season. And that is where things really start to turn around for Somerset. It's Brett Jody's first season as manager for the Patriots. He had previously working as the team's pitching coach and director of player personnel. And the team just exploded with production under that first Brett Jody campaign. 2013 was a season that saw the Patriots post a franchise record 90 wins, which was still not the most wins in the Atlantic League that year. The most wins that year were actually for the Sugarland Skeeters, who won 95 games. And then both the Patriots and the Skeeters would play against each other in the first round of the postseason that year. And it was Somerset who ended up on top. They wound up sweeping the 95-win Sugarland Skeeters team in the first round of the playoffs that year. And then the Patriots would go on. They would lose in a five-game series to the Long Island Ducks in the Atlantic League Championship Series. But in 2013, that is when a lot of the successful years to come for the Patriots really turned around. We mentioned that core team, some of those core players. Well, 2013 was also the first season that Aaron Eggleston played for the Patriots. It was his first of his five seasons. It also marked the return of John Hunton who played for five seasons starting in 2013 and also had a previous year uh, with the Patriots back in 2008. Uh, it was also David Harden's first year in the fold with the Patriots as well. Harden would play 2013, 14, and 15. Uh, so things were really turning around for the Somerset franchise at that point. Donnie would have his best statistical season with the Patriots in 2014. He was a midseason All-Star, a postseason All-Star. He was named the Catcher of the Year for the Atlantic League. But again, Somerset would lose in the postseason, uh, this time in the first round to the Lancaster Barnstormers. Um, We've mentioned it before on this podcast, but that was the series with the Yusuke Kajimoto Grand Slam. But Donnie and that core group of guys would return for 2015, and that was a championship season for Somerset. And in the upcoming conversation we have with Adam, he goes over a lot of fun stories. Uh, but it was an interesting to get his perspective on that season because, as we mentioned a couple of episodes ago when we were speaking with Buddy Boshears, that was a historically great Somerset Patriots pitching staff. Some of the names on that pitching staff, Sean Bierman, Matt Zielinski, Mickey Story, Randy Boone, Lucas Irvine, uh, David Harden, people forget, got off to a great 5-0 and start to begin his season before um, injuries derailed the rest of the year for him. Uh, Will Oliver and Roy Merritt were late season additions as well for the Patriots. Um, but it was interesting because Adam Donahue was the primary catcher for that historic pitching staff. He did split time with James Skelton, and Adam um, goes into detail about uh, James Skelton and his contributions to that team as well. Uh, but that was a pitching staff that had a 3.04 earned run average. So Adam Donahue was the catcher for that staff. He was also the catcher in those historically great starts by Will Oliver in Game 4 of the Liberty Division Championship Series, that complete Game 3 hit shutout. He was the catcher for Roy Merritt in Game 5. Of the Liberty Division Championship Series, uh, when Merritt threw a complete game four hit shutout. So, two of the better starts in Somerset Patriots postseason history. It was Adam Donahue behind home plate calling the game for the Patriots. Uh, he is an essential person in the history of this franchise. Before the 2017 season, he was named the number 20 Patriot of all time in the Patriots' top 20 vote. And then um, earlier this week, he was named as the catcher for the all-decade team for seasons between 2010 
and 2019. And if you listen to Brett Jody speak at all about Donnie, um, you'll hear it wasn't just about the stats. You might look at Adam's stats, um, but you won't get a full picture of the contributions that he made uh, to this team, to the pitching staffs that he worked with, and to the overall Somerset community. Uh, Certainly a very important player for the Patriots in their franchise history, and um, certainly important and uh, standout presence for the years that he was here. So after this break, uh, we'll sit down and have our interview with all-time Patriot great Adam Donahue. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with 8 locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. The Something Patriots podcast is also presented by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is making it easier to see a doctor from home and cutting your costs so you can get the care you need. Here for you now and always. Learn more at horizonblue.com slash always. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. And we're back on the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and now I have the pleasure of being joined alongside another top 20 Patriot and another recent member of the all-decade team. It is longtime Patriot catcher, Adam Donahue. How you doing, Donnie? I'm doing good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for carving out the time. I heard that you've been uh, quite the world traveler lately. Yeah, you know how it is, you know with this pandemic going around, you gotta you gotta take advantage of anything you can do, I guess. So I just happened to be traveling around when this thing you know, went down, and uh, yeah, I'm finally getting back to the East Coast, back to my home state. So, well, I guess I, just to make sure, how you you feeling good? That's the most important thing. Feeling great, feeling good. You know, it's just uh, like everybody else, just trying to take it one day at a time. All right, very cool. That's what I like to hear. Um, so. I want to go a little bit into your career path to get to Somerset, and then the most of the time that we're going to spend on this um, will be obviously with your time in Somerset. Uh, this past Monday, you were announced to be the, the most recent member of the All-Decade team. 
uh, for seasons between 2010 and 2019. Um, so it's another accolade for you, Donnie. Congratulations on that. Um, but I, I guess I, I want to start off. So just for our fans, uh, so they have a little context. You were originally a second round draft pick by the Kansas City Royals, uh, out of high school back in 2002. Uh, spent your first seven seasons in the Royals organization, but I want to fast forward a little bit to an interesting time for you. It was after the 2006 season, before the 2007 season, uh, you were a Rule 5 draft pick by the Philadelphia Phillies and then traded to the Baltimore Orioles and then eventually returned back to the Kansas City Royals. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. curious what that whirlwind of an off season must have must have been like. Yeah, for that you. was that was that was a fun couple months for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew the Rule Five was going on. I was actually uh, in California when all that went down, and I was helping a friend out. And uh, as you should, as you know, it was East Coast time. And it all started at like 8 a.m. <laughs> so my phone was going off at like five in the morning. And I thought something was wrong. And my dad finally said, check your email. You've been traded in Rule 5, and I was so excited. <laughs> and then next thing you know, 20 minutes later, now I'm not a Philly. Now I'm an Oriole. And I'm like, all right, I guess we're just going to keep going. Let's see what next team's going to happen. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a fun adventure, and uh, I'm glad I was I'm glad that I got to experience it for sure. So uh, you were then with the Orioles during, I guess, spring training going into yeah. that 2007 season before you were you were traded back to the Royals. W- was that experience mm-hmm. different for you compared to previous spring trainings that you had? Uh, th- that was the most terrifying spring training, I would say, because <laughs> I knew, because as you know, I was with the you know the Royals for that long, so I knew the people within the organization, and then next thing you know, I'm coming out a little youngster getting in the big league spring training with all the, all these guys and that have no clue who I am. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a very, very challenging, but it was, it was good. It was good for me to do, to kind of step out of my comfort zone, if you would. So and I think it made me grow a little bit more than I, you know, as a person for sure. So was it a little odd to then go back to the Royals after, after that it spring was, training was done? There, it was very odd because uh, there was uh, there was word that I was maybe sticking around with the team, and uh, what I've heard was the Royals wanted me back. So, and that's the way it worked out. And they uh, the Orioles weren't wanting to give up what the Royals were asking for. So, which probably a good good choice in the long run, if you would. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, come on. <laughs> I know, I know. I just say, but it, yeah, it was. Uh, it was very surprising because I remember it was the last day of spring training and we were getting ready to go up for exhibition games. And I got the phone call at night, the night before we were all supposed to leave and saying, we're sorry, we had to trade you back. Come pick up your truck and clean out your locker. You got to be in Arizona tomorrow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Oh, well, let's uh, let's fast forward to. Hopefully, some little better times uh, because you, you wound up playing with the Ori- with the uh, with the Royals later that season. But you would make mm-hmm. your way to Baltimore. Um, you'd make your way back to the Orioles organization um, in yes. 2009. And and the reason I want to talk about that is because that is when you first uh, came in touch with uh, who I'm assuming is still a lifelong friend of yours, Johnny Tucker. Um, Absolutely, yes. And I, I just wanted to see 
when you guys first met in that in the Orioles organization, was it love at first sight, or, or, or how did you guys really become close? Uh, I wouldn't go love at first sight. I would have to <laughs> uh, have to give credit to Craig Nettles for that one because uh, I played with him in Double A with the Royals one year, so I knew that Nettles, and that was the only guy I actually knew when I signed with the Orioles, and he unfortunately was getting cut, and him and Jonathan Tucker were great friends, and as mm. Tucker saw me talking to Nettles. He goes, hey, what, what do you got on that guy over there? He goes, oh, he's a good dude. And the rest is history from there. So, <laughs> And we ended up, uh, yeah, we ended up uh, becoming lifelong friends, which is, I can't thank Nettles enough. Oh, it's it's great to hear. Um, so in your time in the Orioles organization, just to lay the groundwork before you got to Somerset, um, for the first time in your career, you had a couple of opportunities in AAA, and in 2010, mm-hmm. you played the majority of your season with uh, with Norfolk, um, 78 games played with them. What what was that experience like? And I know you've told this story before, but you were you were scratching at the door to get up to the major league. So, yes. what was that entire experience like for you? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, as anything, I was loving to go to the field every day. You know, you're always you're engaged and ball. I mean, obviously you're paying attention to the team above you, not wishing an injury on anybody, but, you know, just waiting for, you know, be at the right place at the right time. And I just, it was just, I was almost there and, you know, just the cards didn't fall the way I was hoping, but I think it did pretty well. And I, uh, and I was thankful for Somerset after that. So let's get into your time with Somerset and, and, and I'm curious, how that all began. So what was the road like for you and how you found out about Somerset and how sort of that all came together? Yeah, I, uh, I was, you know, trying to find a job after the, after the season and nothing was coming about. And then, uh, that's when good old Tuck called me up and said, Hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I am definitely in. I mean, you know, I want to play somewhere. And, and that's where Nettles also, you know, put his, put his neck out for me too saying give the kid a chance he'll surprise you don't 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 look at the numbers too much he's a he's a guy that will uh help the team and i was thankful jody took a you know took a chance on me so that that first season that you have in 2012 um we talked a little bit before we came on you mm-hmm. know obviously the record wasn't exactly what what you guys yeah. would have hoped for uh, but I do want to just see what that experience was like for somebody like yourself that mm-hmm. spent so much time in major league organizations to now come over and play for a team in independent baseball. Uh, how did that experience differ for you compared to what you had previously been through? Uh, you know, as everybody goes, you know, like, ooh, independent ball, you know, you're always skeptical when you first come in. But I ended up falling in love with the game all over again after playing with Somerset and coming coming there. It was uh I always just I just wanted to win. I, I did anything I could to win. And as you know, you know, you get in the organizations and affiliated ball. There's always a process of people having to be this and do that. And I loved it going into Somerset doing it was do whatever it takes to win. And I was all about that. So your manager that year, uh, it was the last year with Sparky Lyle at the helm. And I, yeah. I know you remain really good friends with Brett Jody. And, and trust me, uh-huh. we're, we'll get into that. Uh, but what was the experience like playing for Sparky that final season? Oh my, that was one of the, it was one of the funnest seasons I've had, and I learned so much <laughs> from him just kind of picking his brain too. I mean, the guy's uh, you know the Yankee legend, and he's a pitcher, and I'm a catcher. I mean, what else what else could you ask for almost? Even though some of his uh, pointers was just keep throwing the slider, it should work sooner or later. But 
but you know, getting you know, getting to you know, hang around him and and a guy like that that has you know the records and you know just he helped me out so much of trying to get ready for games and you know get the uh, the the friendship and the relationship of pitchers. Was it? Different to what you had been taught in your time coming up through the Royals and and the Orioles, was there a big no, difference it wasn't, there? There wasn't a big difference there. It was just the little things that give you that edge to kind of get someone, you know, get that trust. And just being around him for that whole season, it helped me out tremendously for sure. And well, that was, I mean, like I said, it was pretty fun. That's for sure. Uh, I've, I've heard stories, and I know a lot of them probably aren't appropriate for this podcast. No, I wouldn't say no, not all of them. But it was he, he made the game fun again for it, which was that's what I loved about it, you know. Mm. Um, well, that year, of course, now you have a really good friend, Johnny Tucker, um, mm-hmm. but also Roy Merritt. Uh, that was 2012 was the first of his five seasons in Somerset. Yes. Uh, first of three seasons for Jake Fox. Uh, who briefly you played with in Baltimore in 2010 mm-hmm. in that organization, uh, first three seasons for Corey Smith. Um, so when the 2012 season ended and, and you guys missed out on the postseason, were there conversations with, uh, I mean, some of those guys that would turn out to be core members for the next, like, three or four years, were there conversations between you guys on, look, we might have something here, let's let's give it another go? Yeah, I, we, I don't know if we really actually kind of talked about it. It just kind of, like, fell into place. And it just, mm. it worked out so well. And like, yeah, of course we, we always had some conversation, man, that'd be cool if we all could stick together, but we all know the business of baseball, you know, it's tough to even have that happen. And it was special for us to have that core group of guys for those, for those years. And I mean, as you could tell, it was, it worked out pretty good. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and, and, and started seeing some pretty like quick turnarounds that next year, because 2013, yeah. Brett takes over as manager. Um, mm-hmm. That first year that Aaron Eggleston is a Somerset Patriot. And, you know, of course, yeah. you, you were considered a core member with Eggie and Tucker for a long mm-hmm. time. Hunton is, uh, comes back to the Patriots as well. Eric Arneson's there. David Harden's yeah. there, who you obviously remain close with as well. Um, mm-hmm. what, what was the vibe for that 2013 team? And I guess specifically with Brett being the new manager of the team. Like you said, we walked into spring training. How can we lose? <laughs> we, like you look at you look on paper it was like unbelievable how did some of these guys not have affiliated jobs and it was just and Jody came in and you know that first that first practice that first meeting as you know he said we're here to win and this is what we're going to do and if you're not about it you might as well pack up and leave now and that put a and that and that was one of the best things that could have been said right then and there because that was it right then everyone knew if you're here you're here to win and yes, if, if we win, the chips may fall for you to get back in affiliated ball. So that year, you guys uh, set a franchise record, 90 wins. Uh, you mm-hmm. make the playoffs. Uh, the sure Sugarland Skeeters. That still wasn't good enough to beat the Sugarland Skeeters in the regular season. I know. Well, I was about to get there. Nin- <laughs> 95 wins for Sugarland. Right? <laughs> what was that like for you? Well, it was great when we swept them in the playoffs. There you go. <laughs> Everyone, I mean, it was yeah, that was one heck of a team. And surprise, I mean, were we surprised that we swept them? Yes and no. But yeah, that was uh, that was a special year because you know I was I, I was I've been a part of some uh, losing seasons for sure, and that was one of the funnest times winning. Absolutely. <laughs> 
so then I, I do want to bring up the the way the season ended. Um, you, you sweep Sugarland. Uh, you're going into mm-hmm. a championship series against the Long Island team that kind of snuck into the playoffs. Um, yeah. You have 90 wins, and then you know that series. There's a lot of memorable moments in that series. It goes five. Ultimately, Long Island wins. Uh, yeah. What were the emotions for you guys right after that season and that series came to a close? Heartbreaking. I couldn't believe it. Mm. You know, I mean, you give credit for Long Island. It was they were basically. They were the they were the Washington Nationals. You get hot at the right time, you come in and you make that run, which you got to give them credit. They did, and uh, they put us in our place, which I hate to say, but that's what made the sweet revenge of the next year so much better. That's right. Well, we we have to wait a couple of more years for that because that year next year, 2014, that's an All Star season for you. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably, from a statistics standpoint, your most successful season in Somerset. Um, you're a mid-season all-star. You're a post-season all-star. You're actually named the quote-unquote catcher of the year because you're the, the catcher for the post-season all-star team. Um, but again, you know, strong regular season, but you lose to, in, to yeah. Lancaster. Um, there's that UK yeah. Kajimoto Grand Slam that in that playoff series. Yeah, that sorry yeah, about snuck that. Snuck over, snuck over that wall. I mean, <laughs> gu- the guts from the gods cost us on that one. A little window, uh, I say. Do you yeah. do you still think about that at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I tried not to remember. All right, well, <laughs> I let's believe it, but <laughs> well, let's focus on the positive then for that year, Donnie. Yeah. And I, I want to spend <laughs> I want to spend time on the 2015 championship, but before then, was yeah. there anything specific for 2014? Um, I guess from just a personal standpoint for you that mm-hmm. that might have led to one of your better statistical seasons here. Uh, it, it, it all goes back to, like you said, that core group of guys that making me feel comfortable. And it was, uh, and it was also, it was a lot of guys were policing each other. So, you know, you had like, I had Tuck come in and say, Hey, you, you know, he'd, he'd say, you're sucking right now. You need to switch some up. Let's try this and that. And it was one of those things where everything kind of started clicking. Mm. And, and it was, it was one, I just, I, it's like, I couldn't even explain it. It was, it was the core group of guys that, you know, kind of pushed me with, you know, Dave Harden, Roy Merritt, uh, Tuck, obviously. All those guys followed in me and tried to push me and get the best out of me as I could. And I and I kind of, you know, thanked them for that season. I would. Are there any points for you while you're having so much success that you're thinking about the possibility of your contract maybe getting purchased? Absolutely not. I was not really thinking anything like that. I was, I, I like to, I was in the moment, staying in the moment where I'm at right now is where I was at. And I didn't want to think anything beyond that or behind that. I was just trying to stay focused in the moment. So the, the 2014 season ends. We won't harp anymore on that, but 2015, <laughs> um, that becomes a fun season. And there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, First of all, I want to I want to get the sense going into that year. So the core guys you mentioned, you know, Johnny Tucker, Aaron Eggleston, uh, John mm-hmm. Hunton, Nate Spears is back, Kyler Newby yeah. is back, uh, but you guys had a historically great pitching staff that year. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I gave the numbers on a podcast episode a couple of times ago, but Sean Bierman that year that he sent an Atlantic League record for the lowest qualified earned run average. In, in league history. I didn't really know that. Yeah. That he, lefty did something like that. That makes sense. He, uh, it was a one seven nine ERA and he qualified by oh, like wow. a third, he qualified by like a third of an inning before his contract was purchased at oh, the end of the wow. year. So 
so he just snuck it yeah. in. Um, but then, I mean, Matt Zielinski had a great year that year. Mickey Story mm-hmm. had a great year. Randy Boone, um, Lucas Irvine as well. Uh, yes. Harden early in the season before he got hurt. You get, you know, Will Oliver and Roy Merritt late in the year as well. Oh, yeah. Um, when I, when I start bringing up all these names for that pitching staff, and of course, I mean, you work so closely with all of them. Yeah. I, what are the memories that sort of come into your head? It was so easy. They made it so easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, it was those guys, they, if I called a pitch and they threw it to where it was, it was, I mean, I, it was that easy. And the bulldog mentality that, that all our pitchers had that year, it was just, it was awesome come in and it just made you all right yes here we go i love you know you want to play behind these people you want to play behind these guys and that whole pit that whole staff that year was we couldn't wait to get on the field because we know they're going to shove it in order to go you know it's like we if we could if we score four runs we're winning no matter what well i mean i look i could say that you know the pitchers would say it was easy to work with you and that maybe you were a big reason why they were having so much success what do you think about that I I I would I would like to think I do, but I don't want to give too much credit to myself because those are the ones <laughs> those guys are the ones throwing the ball. I'm just giving down suggestions, and they happen to work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> was there a sense for you and some of the guys that had been there for a little bit that at the beginning of that season that maybe that year felt a little different? It uh, yes, it was one of those. We had, it was. It was like we had so many guys that were just, it was just, we loved the bunch. It was a scrappy bunch. You know, it wasn't, we weren't as years before waiting for the home run ball and this and that. It was always somebody different that kept stepping up. Mm. I, I do want to bring up the bullpen also that year. The the back end, I mean, John Hunton was still um, in his Somerset prime. Uh, Buddy Boshier oh, yeah. had one of the, the best relief seasons mm-hmm. in Somerset Patriots history. Um, Andrew Kerrigan was another strong arm. There was Gus Schlosser at the beginning of the year as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, here, Donnie, this is the number. The overall pitching staff that year, and this is with – I'm going to give you a little bit of credit here. I mean, James Skelton okay. was uh, the other catcher for the team as no, well that it's, year. It's the battery mate. Me and Skelly did it together. It wasn't yeah. one individual, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I brought up um, Skelton's name as well. Uh, but you guys together lead, helping lead that pitching staff, it was a combined 3.04 earned run average for that pitching staff that year. So that made sense for me saying we score four, we're definitely winning, right? Yeah, no, you're <laughs> spot on. <laughs> but you, you that guys, was our motto. <laughs> well, look, it worked. It worked. And, and yeah. let, let, let's not, you know, forget about some of the bats that were on that team as well. That was the first year oh. that David Vidal was in Somerset. Um, uh-huh. Of course, yourself included, um, late season additions of Matt Fields, uh, Big Mike Wilson came back for a little oh, bit yeah. as well, uh, Tuck, Ollie Linton, I mean, I could go on and on, Nate Spears, oh, yeah. uh, T-Daddy, Thomas oh, Neal. T-Daddy, we had Burgess too. Burgess, yeah, yeah Robert, Andi- you know, Robert Andino, who you played with yeah. with the, in the Orioles. Uh, with, absolutely, yeah, we did. We, the memories were great because, you know, we get done with the, with the games, and as you know, where we all stayed together, it was just like we would – we would come over or sit there and watch ESPN and start watching videos of guys and just talking baseball nonstop until into the hours of the night after games. And it was just like one of those where we were just always engaged and there was nothing that nothing else was bothering us or we weren't distracted at all. Oh, so, and, and that's, it was just, it was, it was, we were there for business. And that's what I think that made that team so much special. Yes, we had fun, 
But when it came down to it, it was strict business in between lines. And you guys were ready for that business in the postseason as well. And, mm-hmm. and this is when we get to talk about your revenge um, against Long Island. Uh, yes. There's that first round, and, and I just want to say there were nine postseason games um, mm-hmm. that year. Uh, you were starting behind home plate in eight of those nine games. Um, mm-hmm. So you took the reins of the pitching staff in the postseason. But the Patriots fall behind two games to one in that first round at Liberty mm-hmm. Division Championship Series. I remember we had a packed house that Friday night for game three mm-hmm. and, and Long Island uh, wins that ball game. So we fall behind. Oh, yeah. And then game four, uh, you're behind home plate and Will Oliver is on the mound. And yes. Will Oliver goes ahead and tosses one of the best games in Somerset Patriots postseason history. Absolutely. What do you remember about that night? I uh, I remember you know we uh, us going we he got to the field I remember us going over the lineup and we went to and we both were saying what we wanted to do and it was on the same page which was perfect we were like great so this is all we got to do is execute and I don't know if if I, I if, if my memory serves me correctly Will Oliver probably had one of the worst bullpen sessions to warm up before that game <laughs> too I I mean if I remember correctly we I walk in afterwards and Jody goes how are we look and I said. Make sure everyone's in the pen early. <laughs> and I was like, uh, or, or he got them all out of the way. He got all the bad ones out of the way. And when that those lights came on and that game started, I don't know what was up, but all I did was stick my glove up, and that ball kept going right to it. <laughs> and he was just he, – he wouldn't miss. And that's why when I say it just made everything so easy. As a catcher, uh, I mean, I guess this is more of a broader question, but when mm-hmm. you're – in that bullpen before it starts, how easy is it for you to know if a guy has it or if he doesn't have it that night? Uh, it's you could tell. It depends. Like that's the funny thing. Like I said, you had that bullpen. He goes out and throws a complete game. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, you can kind of, but you, you can tell on sharpness of pitches if they're really sharp or if they're kind of fluttering around. You can tell if he's going to have it or not. He had his stuff, but I was just worried that it wasn't going to be over the plate. <laughs> and but and uh, I'm glad he proved me wrong for sure. <laughs> a complete game, uh, three hit shutout. Long Island had mm-hmm. one of the better lineups in the Atlantic League that year, um, and just completely closed the door on them. Uh, so the series is tied at that point, two games apiece. And then Roy Merritt, uh, who had started the year with Sugarland, but of course had all the history in Somerset, um, yeah. made two regular season starts with Somerset at the end of the 2015 season, and and, and the numbers. Overall, for that year for Roy, were great, but his numbers in those two starts weren't anything too special. Mm-hmm. Um, but Roy Merritt then goes out the next night in Game 5 and tosses a complete game four-hit shutout. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and for that, and for him to do that, because I, I don't know if, if he said anything about it. I remember he came in at the fifth inning. He goes, I am done. And I said, you ain't even close to done. <laughs> you just keep throwing the dang thing and quit and keep making arm angles. And we're going to get through this. And when he said that, I, and then next thing you know, I'm like, holy crap, we're in the eighth inning already. All right. <laughs> you know? And, and, and it was like one of those things, like he just goes, all right, I'll try to go through one more inning. Okay. I'll get one more. And he's going, eight pitches in any, and he's like, all right, I think I can go one more. I think I can go one more. Do you remember what his bullpen was like that night? Roy's bullpens are always great. He's just mm. over there, just hits your, hits your mid every single time. It's just one of those. It's 
he's he, he doesn't go full blown because he knows his body, he knows his he knows his arm, and he just gets that release point down and just spots up. And it's yeah, those are easy ones for me, especially Roy. So it's a back-to-back amazing performances um, from Will Oliver and Roy Merritt. You're the catcher mm-hmm. for both of those starts. Yeah, you get your, your revenge. Uh, Patriots win that series three games to two. And then in the championship series, you're going up against the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, um, and the Patriots lose the first game of that series. And yeah. then there was Hurricane Joaquin um, that yeah. was coming up the East Coast. And so mm-hmm. we all knew about it. We all knew it was coming. I remember the the field was pretty slick. It might have started raining during that game, yeah. too, and, and we needed to get it through. Um do you have any? I mean, do you remember what the the vibe was like for I the remember, players? I I remember it was we were we we were like no, and you saw what happened with Burgess in yeah. the outfield getting hurt, and that's what the one thing we weren't we didn't want to do. And I'm pretty sure they were kind of like no, let's play it out, see what happens. And sure enough, I think it we saw exactly what happened. He almost ruined a guy's career just trying to get a couple innings and over a, a rainstorm, which is we were all like this is not right. Yeah, well, I mean, Burgess was hurt in that series. Mm-hmm. Holly Linton was hurt Holly, in that series. Yeah. Um, Tuck was hurt during that time as well. Uh, yeah. So, so you, you guys had to sort of scrape across the finish line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's, when, what I, that's what I said beforehand. That was like that team that was – we just it was like a scrappy team, and someone new came up every single time in the big situations, and that's what made it so much so much fun and so, and so, so great about that team. And then on top of that, on top of, you know, needing those guys to step up, between games two and three of that championship series, when we went down to Southern Maryland, mm-hmm. you guys had two days off, basically. We did. <laughs> because that field that, wasn't ready to go. No, and that might have been the worst mistake that could ever happen to Southern Maryland, for sure. Us <laughs> well, why do you say that? And, you know, I mean, it's the end of the season. Everyone has their little Nixon, you know. Nicks and bruises here and there, and for for us to actually get a two day break, it was and ha- and have everything kind of heal up a little bit to actually make that last push was huge for us. So you 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 win game three, you win game four. Mm-hmm. What are the emotions like? I mean, you were behind home plate. Uh, I, yeah. I think Hunt induced the double play ground out. Yeah, and I was and I was Dino. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. <laughs> And I was like, I had a flashback of my old high school championship, state championship game where a guy threw it away because he double pumped, and I saw Dino double pumping, and it brought back mad memories that one second. <laughs> and but Dino being Dino flips it right to the chest, and it was celebration time after that. So I mean, look, you you have a lot of really good friends on that team, guys that you've stayed in touch with now, you know, mm-hmm. since until today, and I'm sure forever. Um, what was the celebration like for you guys? What were the emotions like, I guess, for you also personally to finally win it? Finally, that was that. Finally, (laughs) we were all just, we all just sat there and was like, finally, you know, and it just proves that how like the the teams that we had, the numbers that were on paper, nothing, it ain't easy to win. And it it was like, like, like being in Somerset for that, you know, those years and then finally bringing it back was just like, yes back where it belongs. And now this is the point of the conversation where I ask you more about Brett Jody and your relationship mm-hmm. with him. Um, you know, Brett had yeah. obviously very large shoes to fill, um, having been a pitching mm-hmm. coach and in charge of player personnel for a long time under Sparky Lyle. He takes over as manager 
in 2013 um, and tough ends to the year. Great regular seasons, but tough ends to the year in 2013, 2014. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Brett and, and I guess how both of you guys were able to celebrate together after winning it in 2015? Uh, it was just like, it was just, it was so gratifying just find like, you know, cause we, as those years went along, we built that relationship, especially that first year when he was the pitching coach. And I think that's when he became the manager. I, I hope that I made it a little easier on him when he became the manager that he didn't have to worry too much about the pitching side because of how we gelled together through the beginning of the career in Somerset. And as he taught me some things and taught me what to do, and I think that's what put us on the same page. And we always saw eye to eye. And it, it was just the personalities were always there. And we were always up front. And that's what I loved, loved best about it. He'd be like, no, Donnie, you're, you're not too good right now. Go take a seat, you know. <laughs> and he goes, no, nah, we're going to get someone in there. You, you ain't seen the ball too well today. You know, stuff like that, which is it's the truth, and it's also it's just the fun, playful way of saying, you know, of building that relationship that we had. So, and had. Now, yes, um, the most important question I have for for this show um, after the 2015 championship, I remember the celebration was at this place called Boston's um, Boston. in Southern Maryland. I want to know how much you and Brett debated going over to the gold mine instead. I was trying to get to the gold mine. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's that was the place. That's what got us the championship in my eyes, I think. No, but <laughs> we had to keep it a little classy. But I think the gold mine, if anybody knew what it was, just that was the definition of our team for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, for context for some of our fans, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. It was it was a dive bar in Southern Maryland. Yes. And uh, we nothing, won't go too much more into detail. Nothing fancy, blue-collar people that are there to do business. <laughs> oh man, that was a that was a fun time. I re I remember oh, that night. Cool. Um, that that was a, oh, that was yeah. a good time. Um, that was great. Yes, I know. And it was it even made it better when we got back up to Jersey and got to celebrate it with the fans for sure. That's right. I wanted to ask you about that because I remember we yes. had an event in the ballpark where we had the trophy and fans came out, and you were there for that. Yes. What was that like yes, for you? Yes, it was. That was that was awesome. It was it was just to see the joy, you know, like all the stuff that we go through every summer, and the fans supporting us like that, and the just seeing how happy they were to see their team win. It just made it all that much better. Mm. Um, so, how difficult was it then? Or, or I'm curious what the thought process was on your end because 2015 season ends, and then I, mm -hmm. I imagine that you get a call from your boy Shane Spencer. Um, I did. What, yes. I, what, what was that I process a, like? It was a tough process, but it, it, I swayed towards the process of going with him because of the surgery I had right after that season. Okay. I had uh, end up having shoulder surgery because I was playing through so much pain <laughs> the last couple of years. And then finally like, all right, I don't know if I can go through with this anymore. And I ended up getting the surgery. And that's, I think that's, that was uh, the pushing point of me not coming back to Somerset the next year and trying to maybe do the coaching thing over there. So Shane Spencer at the time with the Nexon Heroes in the Korean Baseball mm -hmm. League, he was the field coordinator. Um, you joined his staff over there. What was mm -hmm. that experience like for you being in a completely new area and, and teaching the game? Oh, man. Tell me. <laughs> well, that you tell me. <laughs> I mean, I know. 
It was tough. I mean, it was just, I mean, as a, just being a first year coach, I mean, granted me being a catcher kind of, I think kind of helped me be, you know, transition to that role pretty easily, but definitely then going out of the country and speaking to people that don't even speak your language. And then my translator, you know, kind of wanders off sometimes. And then I'm, and I was like, uh, I kept yelling at him. I was like, Hey, you know, I don't speak Korean, right? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, well, you help me out, please. I mean, I need to tell these guys that they're not doing it right, you know? But it was, yeah, it was a, it was definitely an experience that I, I, I am happy that I experienced. Do you, and do you I'm feel, glad that I did it. Do you feel like that helped you at all when you came back to Somerset for 2017? I think it did. Yes. I think it helped me pretty good to get a different, uh, you know, bird's eye view of how the coaching side works more being, you know, in with the front office over there in South Korea with the, with the team. And yeah, I thought it helped me pretty good. And, you know, it just didn't work out as much as we thought. Well, the, yeah, the, the 2017 season ended with another unfortunate loss to Long Island. Yeah. Um, but what was the conversation like with Brett and I guess Dommel at the time also about mm-hmm. you coming back in that player coach role? It was uh, it was good. It, it kind of it, nothing really changed because you know me and Dommel still had the great relationship. Jody did too. It was just we were working together, and I was trying to make more of a coaching role because as you know the as you get older the body doesn't perform as it should but and I was and they said they had a nice young catcher Yovan that you know maybe help him out here and there and I was happy to do so and great player he is and I'm glad that he's still there and doing what he does because he's a special kid for sure what what was your relation uh, relationship like with Yovi? Loved it. Me and Yovi, I loved Yovi, and I, I hope it was great. I thought it was great. I had a great time, and I wish we could have, you know, had a couple more seasons together. But the chips didn't fall the way they did, and I'm glad that he's still going strong. Again, Donnie, I, I so appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I want to yeah. tie I, I want to tie this conversation with Bo on just your overall like when you think about Somerset and. Look, you are somebody who had enjoyed a lot of success here, 2015 league champion, 2014 all-star. Uh, before the 2017 season, you were named the number 20 Patriot of all time. Um, and I think it really goes to show your importance with the franchise, not just from a statistical standpoint, but all the things that maybe a lot of the fans don't necessarily see. Um that was a part of a fan vote. Um, currently, the All-Decade team that you were just named to is a fan vote as well. So what does it mean for you that our fans here still think of you so fondly and still remember um, with such great memories all that you accomplished and all that you put into this community in your time here? I can't thank them enough. I, I'm surprised that I'm still thought about, and I'm <laughs> glad that I am. You know, I know how baseball is. You know, it's the next guy up. And to be recognized as being an all-decade and the top 20 and for the fans to show their support towards me, I, it made it those years that in Somerset of working my tail off and trying to bring that championship back. It just made it all, it makes it all that much greater. And I couldn't even thank the, the community, the front office, even everybody that was a part of it. I couldn't thank them enough for me enjoying baseball as much as I could in that time period. Well, look, Donnie, um, we can't thank you enough uh, for your time uh, you know, and all of your commitment here. And for me personally, for you taking the time yeah. today for this conversation, I, oh, I appreciate I, it. And I hope that you're doing well, man. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I, you know, I appreciate everything too and stay safe. And I hope this season gets started soon. But we'll, we will see. Well, we, yes, we will. And look, I, I look forward to the next time that you're in Somerset to catch a game or two. Yeah. I don't know when that might be, but I think we're all looking forward to it. Well, when that time comes, I can't wait. All right. Well, thanks again, Donnie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by NJM. At NJM, we understand the hardships you might be going through right now. That's why we're offering payment relief. We'll continue providing you protection no matter what tomorrow brings. Because dealing with uncertainties is our business. This isn't just insurance. It's NJM. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with 8 locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. And we're back on the Something Patriots podcast, wrapping up this week's episode. A big thank you to Adam Donahue for joining us and sharing so much great insight to his time here and specifically that 2015 championship run. Uh, the other big news to come out of Somerset this week was the Patriots' plan to host drive-in movies and drive-in firework shows at TD Bank Ballpark in the coming weeks. Uh, now, there is a chance that more information on this has already been announced at the time that you are listening to this episode, but it's still some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we'll be throwing it back with that drive-in movie and, and trying to best use our ballpark to put on some fun events for the community. There are also some other plans to use the ballpark uh, for the community as well uh, that are in the works, so be sure to stay tuned for that. In the time being, the Patriots are still selling their Jersey Strong t-shirts and team-branded protective face masks, so be sure to check those out. Uh, the proceeds benefit the RWJ Barnabas Health Emergency Relief Fund, so it is certainly for a good cause. If you have a t-shirt already, uh, be sure to take a selfie and post it on social media with the hashtag JerseyStrong, and make sure you tag our accounts as well uh, so we can share it. But um, on that note, all right, that's, uh, that's it for this week's episode. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, give us a review, tell your friends about it. 
Uh, We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and a number of other platforms as well. We'll be back with another episode next Friday that will air live on The Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. But until then, hope you guys have a nice weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Something Patriots podcast. The Somerset Patriots would like to thank the presenting sponsor of the podcast, RWJ Barnabas Health. They would also like to thank the supporting sponsors, TD Bank and Flemington Car and Truck Country, with proud sponsorship from T-Mobile, NJM Insurance, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and NJIT. Other thanks go to Flemington Department Store, AARP New Jersey, Sanofi, and Financial Resources Federal Credit Union, all valued partners of the Somerset Patriots. The Something Patriots podcast airs live on The Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, and on WCTCAM.com every Friday night from 6 to 7 p.m., with the archived versions also available for download on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms. The show is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.